Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from AltaSpeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat. Because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call and we'll talk about your tech questions or business in tech questions. Linux advocate above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. Now, most of you probably know who I am from Jupiter Broadcasting or right here on the air at Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3 LPFM. But just in case you're hearing my voice for the first time, let me take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Noah J. Chalaya. I live right here in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I own an IT company where we provide commercial IT services at a competitive rate by leveraging open source technologies. Now, we do everything from retrofitting older hotels with Wi-Fi to cable installs and network equipment and, of course, the computers that connect to them for brand new businesses. Chances are, if you stay at a hotel in the Grand Forks community, we are the ones that are providing Wi-Fi for you. And about 10 years ago, after something snapped inside of me, and I just, I couldn't reinstall Windows one more time on my computer. My laptop had slowed down, and I had all of these certifications and training that told me I was supposed to be some sort of an expert on technology. I followed all of the industry standards. I used the latest operating system, the latest hardware. And yet somehow, every so often, I had to dump my entire computer and reinstall because it had bogged down. And so in my frustration, I went on the internet and I started searching. There must be somebody else out there that has found a solution to this problem. And I found there wasn't just somebody out there. There was an entire community of people that, like me, had had their computer just trashed. And they needed their computer to do their job. They needed their computer to do their work, to look at pictures of their kids, to store videos. And they didn't want to worry about viruses. They didn't want to worry about their computer not being secure, the manufacturer of their operating system selling them out to the NSA before they patch their computers. They didn't want to worry about some activation service. They didn't want to worry about license keys that were required Do I have enough license keys to run the same version of my operating system on all of my computers? Or do I have to buy a little at a time and upgrade where I can? They didn't want to worry if they had the home edition or the business edition. What's the difference between these two editions? And can I use the home edition for work? They just, they wanted their computer to work for them. And they solved all of those problems with an alternative to Windows. Now, some of you out there are thinking Mac. They went to the Mac, right? Well, Apple certainly does solve some of the problems that Windows has, but it also introduces a whole host of their own problems. Now, they solve their their problems with an alternative called Linux. Now, when I say that, when I say Linux, what comes to your mind? Does, do terminals come to your mind? Text flying across the screen? Last April, I was in the Seattle area, and I was out there for an event, and I took a Linux laptop with me, and I started setting it down in front of people. And I started asking them, 
what do you think of this? What do you think of this computer? How easy is this to use? How intuitive is it to you? Could you use this? Would you use this? Do you like this better than at the time, I think, Windows 8, now Windows 10? And 95% of them, over 95% really, ultimately decided not only did they like it on the laptop I was demoing it to them on, but they wanted to take a copy home to install it on their own computer. We all know what we want from our computer. But doing something different, going out on a limb, requires somebody to support us, to come alongside us and walk along with us to make sure nothing bad happens, and to be there to answer questions when those things come up, to help you solve those problems. And welcome to the Ask Noah Show. That's what this show is. We are going to advocate for free and open source software on this program. I have managed to run my business since 2009 entirely on Linux, and I have advised everyone that has ever come to us for consulting to do the same. I started AltSpeed Technologies because I found out you could, in fact, leverage free and open source platforms to provide creative solutions that saved money but didn't cost you any quality. And today I'm excited to take that eight years of knowledge live on this radio program. I'm also excited to tell you that this program is being produced 100% entirely on Linux. There isn't a Mac or Windows PC here inside of the studio, and I give you my word, there never will be. All of the assets for this radio program have been created in such a way that they can be used to produce the show entirely on Linux. I am eating my own dog food. My primary goal is not to make this a popular show. My primary goal is to bring valuable content to my listeners and to help them learn technology. Now, if the byproduct of that happens to be a popular show, so be it. We are going to open this radio program up with relevant news stories. We are going to feature guests. We're going to talk about trending technology, and then we're going to take your calls live on the air. Now, you can make a comment about the current topic. You can ask a question about... Uh, that's totally unrelated to the current topic, anything really about Linux technology or business. And we're going to try and answer those questions live on the air. Again, that number, one 450 noaa That's one 450 Phone lines are open, so make a toll-free call right now. We'll get you on the air shortly. Now, I want to be clear with everyone. This is a family-friendly program. I want all of my listeners to be able to take this show with them in their car, with their kids. I want them to be able to play it in their living room, with their family, in their homes. And additionally, we are broadcasting live on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3 in Grand Forks, and the FCC regulates to a certain degree what we can say on this radio program anyway. So we're going to ask that you keep the conversation polite. Now, I'm not a broadcast professional. I don't have any training in this industry. I'm just a regular guy who is passionate about Linux and technology, and I happen to work in the IT industry as a system administrator. So when I decided to launch the Ask Noah show, when I decided I was ready for the challenge of taking your toll-free calls at one eight five five four five zero noah 6624 I took the last two weeks of my day job, and I, I basically quit to focus 100% of my waking hours to earn your ears on this program. I spent hours researching what makes a perfect radio show. What would you want to listen to? And I learned over the internet that there is, in fact, a recipe to a perfect radio show. And it's something like this. It's 
read some punchy headlines, say some provocative things, wait for some angry callers, and then beat up on those callers, slap an intro and an outro on it, and you have the making of a successful talk radio show. But that's what radio professionals tell me is the way to make a popular radio show. But like I said at the top of the hour, I'm not interested in making a popular radio show. And frankly, I believe there's a large listener base out there who isn't interested in a shallow program like that. So instead, I'm not going to provide you punchy headlines. I'm not going to provide you callers that we beat up on. I, I instead, I am going to spend hours every day doing meticulous research so you don't have to and condensing that down into a one hour radio show that's clearly presented and well laid out. And I will find you the leading experts on these topics and I will bring them on this program to enhance the eight years of experience that you're going to have access to every single day. Now, I know that there is a portion of you that are newer to the technology space, and we are going to be doing a section on the basics, so you can brush up on your or update your knowledge if that's what you need, and we'll have more of that towards the bottom of the hour. In addition to the phone line, one 450 noah that's 6624, we also have a live video stream thanks to Jupiter Broadcasting, and so you can watch this show live at jblive.tv. You can stream it right there on your computer. While you're there, you'll also find an embedded chat room. Now, I have that chat room up here on the screen. Hello, chat room. Good to see you guys. I'm doing a live radio show, so I can't exactly sit there and read chat messages all day. But that is another way that you can interact with us. Since the day we launched that trailer for this show, I think it was two weeks ago, we have been pushing the idea that the community is the center of the show. The community will drive this show. And so ultimately, you, the listener, are the community. And we have some taken some extraordinary steps to make sure that you, the community, are always in control and in the driver's seat of this radio program. All of the resources for this show, the place to stream it, the ways to subscribe, the ways to download this, because all throughout the week, I've been getting messages from various people from the radio station, various people from the broadcasting company, and they're saying, this is how you tell people to subscribe, and this is how you tell people to download it, and this is how you tell people to listen live, and this is how you tell people where they submit you know, information. And No, guys, it has to be simple. It has to be simple for my listeners. And so we have condensed all of this down. The phone, the email, the form where you can submit ideas or feedback on an episode, all of that has been condensed down into what I'm going to call the Ask Noah dashboard. And you can find the Ask Noah dashboard online at asknoahshow.com. Now, that means that you as the community have the ability to craft this show, direct the content. At the moment, we don't have any sponsors for this program. This is being funded entirely, at least the, the live production part of it is being, is being funded entirely by AltaSpeed Technologies. So that means that at the moment, I am only beholden to you, the listener. So when I open this radio program by saying, you are in the driver's seat, I wasn't kidding. All right, let's go to the phone lines here. Let's take a couple calls. We'll start with, do, 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 who do we have here? Lewis. Um, we don't have a location for Lewis, but Lewis, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello? Hi, Lewis. How are you? Hi, Noah. It's actually Ben that's calling. Oh, I see. Oh, Ben from Louisville, Kentucky. Sorry, I clicked on the wrong button. All right. Ben from Louisville, Kentucky. How can we help? Well, no, 
remember me from Jupiter Broadcasting from the Life Action Show? I sure do. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. I actually just built a new PC. It's got an Intel motherboard on it, i3, 550, and that sort of thing. And I was, um, it's also got a GTX 950 graphics card in it, NVIDIA. <laughs> and I was wondering uh, your thoughts on the better Linux to sort of throw on it, because I've tried Ubuntu on it and Stock Arch and that sort of thing. And <laughs> it's not rendering those pretty well, and it's got an EFI BIOS on it, and I turned that off, and it doesn't seem to run run Linux on it whatsoever, so I'm like, oh, God. I don't want to throw blatant Windows on it, because I'm sick of that OS, as I've yeah. said before. Yeah. And I just don't want to, you know, fall into Microsoft's evil hands, so I was wondering your suggestion. Well, um, can you tell me a little bit about what isn't working? You tried the stock. I, I assumed you're talking about 16.04 proper. That's the that's the starting point for any yeah, Linux tried, distribution. I've tried that and and what happens? I throw that on there. It only wants to boot in EFI mode for some reason, and I don't know if that's some limitation of the board or what. But it's really just being ridiculous. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Ben, let me ask you this: What is the uh, what is the downside to booting in EFI? What do you have against EFI? I don't have anything against it. It's just I'm not used to it. Okay. Well, let me start. Let's start by talking about what the difference between BIOS and EFI is. So, for those of you that may not be familiar, BIOS is the basic input output system. It's basically the the system on your computer that decides how the computer is going to start up, what software is going to run when the computer first comes on. And that was a system that we use basically since the dawn of computers up until a couple of years ago when we decided we were going to revamp this entire system. And so we went to what we call the uh, the extensible firmware interface, the EFI, or Unified Extensible Firmware Interface, UEFI. And it, ha- it basically... Um, is a modern day version of BIOS, but there are a number of advantages The the water got a little muddied because at the same time that EFI rolled out, we rolled out secure boot and secure boot is a very bad thing. And EFI is a very good thing. And because they both came out at the same time and both shipped on a lot of computers, a lot of people conflate those two terms. Secure boot is a function wherein a key has to be loaded into the EFI interface before the operating system can load, which makes it very difficult to load alternative operating systems other than Windows. Um, but in in EFI, just it makes it it makes it much more it makes it much more efficient to start the the computer up. So the the operating system is you're going to shave a minute or two off of your boot time. So um, all that to say, I think sticking with EFI is probably a good idea. But what doesn't work with EFI? Because you said you didn't have anything against it. So. What isn't working exactly? What does it do? Well, it starts up, but then I've got all my proper fans, I've got my case fans, CPU, everything. Mm -hmm. But um, the graphics look like junk when it starts up. Only one monitor comes on. Okay. And then I've got two monitors on my desk, you know, for more screen real estate and that. Yeah. But... Um, the graphics card seems picky. Um, my wireless internal card with the PC Link 4800N it doesn't really pick up very well. Although I do have a USB solution for that, so I might try it. When, okay, so let's let's break these problems apart one by one. So, as far as the graphics problem on the NVIDIA card, did you install the proprietary graphics driver? Um, I was going to try that, but when I go to install Ubuntu. And it shuts off completely, 
And so, yeah, that's kind of being a pesky problem. Okay. But I'm in a I'm in a Mac boot right now. It seems to be pretty stable. Okay. I was just doing that for experimental testing, mind you. Right. But um, I'm about to try an antidote slash strategy to see if that does something. I I'm, I might try I might try antidote, but so okay. So the the graphics problem. The answer there is probably just to install the NVIDIA graphics package. Now, if you're using Ubuntu, I believe they actually they, they have a PPA for the latest graphic driver. So you should be able to do that right from the terminal. So as you're booting up the computer, you can drop to the command line and you can, it's just basically monkey see, monkey do. You just copy that PPA into the command line and then you'll be then you should be able to install the NVIDIA graphics problem. That should fix your graphics problem. You said your Wi-Fi, it recognizes the Wi-Fi card, but it's not very strong? Well, it's not very strong, and I'm in a, my house is kind of like, the router is downstairs, and it's a very tall house, so mm-hmm. my room is upstairs, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a pain in the neck to run a cable through the house. So. Uh, understood. That's not going to understood. That's not going to be a Linux problem, though. That's going to be a that's that's a function you're you're dealing with the limitations of RF. There are ways you can get around that. Ubiquity, a company that um, specializes in access points, actually makes a product called the UAPAC Pro, and what that is is a access point that is both. Uh, wireless AC as well as all of the legacy standards and what it will allow you to do I have used these in hotels that have very very thick concrete walls and I've had absolutely no problem I've had absolutely no problem getting getting a signal through they're a little pricey they're about 125 bucks you can pick them up on on Amazon and we'll have a link in the show notes but that might be the way to solve your wireless problem I don't know that that's going to be any different on Linux or Windows but well, I'll definitely look into that, and um, I get like eighty dollars allowance a week from my folks. You know? Sure, and I'll probably look into that when I get my money. So I'll definitely look into buying that. Okay. Well, I tell you what, um, I'm going to put you. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to put you back on hold, and uh, I'm going to have Sarah pick up, and she's going to get your particulars down, and we'll see what we can do to help you out because we definitely want to get. Uh, we would definitely want to get you online, and um, if you've got a limited income, we at Altus B definitely want to help. So we'll put you back on hold. Don't hang up. Sarah will get your particulars, and we'll get you set back up. We're going to go to Eric in Indianapolis. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. This is my uh, second time talking to you, actually. How can we help today? Uh, I called in your first uh, Ask Noah Show about some podcasting questions, so I got another one for you. Awesome. Thanks for calling in. How can we help? Yeah, so I got a new, uh, like a USB audio mixer for my XR microphone to go in. It's an RE2320 for the microphone. Great choice. Uh, the mixer is a, yeah, I love it. It's very helpful. And it, the mixer is a Scarlet Solo Focusrite. And Excellent. I got on a recommendation from Wimpy on one of his previous Ubuntu podcasts. Mm-hmm. But um, I noticed I have to jack the input volume on the mixer itself all the way to the max right which is like 10 for the gain is that like a normal thing for these mixers or can is am i not using like the gnome like audio settings correctly 
There are two. It, it actually has. No, it actually has nothing to do with um, with GNOME or the audio interface. It has to do with the type of microphone you're using. So the the RE320 is a dynamic microphone, and what that means is, it's very very good at picking up sound directly speaking into the mic and very good at, at rejecting what we call off-axis noise. But what that means is that the signal that is sent to the mixer is often much lower than that of like a condenser microphone, um, like the AT2020, to use an example. And so what you do is you bring that dynamic mic into what we call a channel strip. So the channel strip that I'm a real fan of is the Symmetrix 528. And basically, um, and again, we'll have a link in the show notes, but what the Symmetrix uh, channel strip does is you bring your dynamic microphone into it and it will actually do all of the preamplification for the microphone. Then that gets sent to, in your case, the Scarlet. And you will have a booming signal. So I'm actually using one here in the studio. I have to turn the trim almost down to nothing on the mixer. Um, I can get so much signal out of that symmetric. So it's a really great device. It also will do compression. It's also a downward expander. So that's kind of like a, um, it, it's, it's kind of like a, kind of like a gate limiter, except it's like somebody that is literally riding the uh, slider on the mixer for you to keep your audio levels, um, perfect. Does that, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I definitely want to check that out after after the show and and maybe get that. Um, yeah, because I know it just seems so odd to have to jack it all the way to ten for that, and then even then I, right. I thought I wasn't doing something right. So I'll definitely check into that. Yep, absolutely. Well, great. Well, we really appreciate having you on the phone. Uh, thanks for calling in, and I will have a link for that Symmetrics in the show notes for you. Let's go to Elijah in Idaho. Elijah, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. How can we help, sir? Great. So I've got a network here that uh, we get our internet from uh, CenturyLink. Uh, they provide phone and internet. So that means the uh, internet comes in via a phone line and it goes into their router. Uh, and so, but I want to have a microtick router. I know you're a, I know you really like microtick routers. I do. So is there a way for me to implement microtick or microtick routers so that I can have control? over my own network without degrading network performance so that I don't have a, a double NAT going on. Right. Okay. So there are two ways to do this. For those of you that may not be familiar, what he's talking about with a double NAT is basically we have one IP address that comes into our house and then we have multiple devices, cell phones, tablets, laptops, desktops that need to be able to connect. And the way that we do that without launching into an entire network explanation is we use something called NAT, and it translates all of those internal IP addresses to one external IP address. The problem is if you put two, if you put two routers back-to-back, if you put two in a row, what you end up having is you have two NATs. First, it's getting translated through the first router, and then it's getting translated through the second router. And the problem with that is it breaks a lot of UPnP stuff. So if you have, um, like, for example these gaming consoles that automatically connect to the fastest server and broker the connection so that other people can connect to you, that's not going to work. And it will break some, a lot of video calling and in conference calling. And so what he's asking is how can we get around that? Well, the answer to that question is that there's two ways. The first way is you can turn your modem into a, into a bridge mode, which will basically, even though the routing capability is there inside of that modem router combo, it will, Turn off the routing capability and turn it basically into a dumb modem. It'll just pass that traffic through. That's one way you can do it. The second way you can do it, and obviously this is always my first choice, is contact the ISP and say, hey, I would like just a 
modem. I don't want the router modem router combo. I just want the modem. And that's a really great way to it, that, that, that'll be the, the best way because you don't have to worry about the configuration going wonky or if you have to reset it, setting all that back up. That's really the best way to do it. That's what I would recommend. Lewis is uh, in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show, Lewis. Hello, Noah. This is Sweet Lou here from the JV chat room. How's it going? Oh, Sweet Lou, good to hear from you. How can we help today? Oh, I was wondering, uh, just let's say if I were to try to start somebody out on Linux and that, um, Ubuntu Mate versus Solus, which would be better to start them out on and why? You know, I think that... um, I think that Solos is a really great project. I think they've come a long way. And uh, with an ongoing discussion with the project leader, Ike, um, I have a lot of respect for the project and a lot of respect for what they're trying to do. I think that um, Solus has not reached a state where it is a completed project. A lot of the frustrations that I've had with Solus when I bring it up, um, the answer I seem to be getting is, well, it's not there yet. We're a small team. We're working on it, but we're not quite there yet. So, that leads me to think that the project is not really um, is not really prime time ready yet. At this point, Ubuntu Mate, I have put numerous people on. I'm actually using it right here in the studio, and I've had zero issues with it. It works flawlessly 100% of the time. Additionally, the people that have made the Ubuntu Mate, like Martin Wimpress, have designed this beautiful startup application that allows you to take your users – And the first time they boot into the system, it will say, what software do you want? And even if it's a proprietary software from, you know, like Google, you know, like if if you need Google Chrome or you need Skype or you need Telegram or whatever, it will go out to the Internet, find the appropriate place to download the software onto the computer, download it, install it, create all the shortcuts all with one button. And that software, they call it the software boutique. That is getting better and better and better all the time. It's an absolutely fantastic uh, uh, distro, and I would highly recommend it to anyone that's getting started with Linux. Again, the phone number to call one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Now, back in February of twenty sixteen, then President Obama changed the way that your internet service provider, or as we call them in the biz, the ISP, the internet provider, was classified, and the FCC reclassified ISPs under Title II of the Communications Act of nineteen thirty four as telcos. Now, basically what this did is it would have given ISPs a federal mandate to obtain explicit permission from their customers before using any of their customers' personal info for advertising. Well, Noah, what kind of personal information are we talking about? Well, basically anything that isn't encrypted. How do you know if it's encrypted? Well, have you ever seen a little green padlock in the top of your browser? That indicates that you've established an encrypted connection to your bank, for example. Now, the information that you connected to your bank and what time you connected to your bank and what time you terminated the connection from your bank, that is all going to be available to your ISP. But the actual data in between what you sent, that, that's going to be hidden. So think about that for a second. In the world of the Internet of Things, in a household where our appliances are connected to the Internet and an ISP can now collect data on when you're using your Amazon Alexa, for example, when your kids access their school website. I mean, the list goes on and on, but all this to say that that kind of power in the ISP's hands is in general not conducive to your privacy as a consumer. And recently, the 
new administration has worked with Congress to undo those privacy protections, and the entire Internet has exploded into a polarized mess. And it's very hard to get to disseminate all of the information that's going around, and there's a lot of misinformation that's going around. And so we thought we'd take the premiere episode of Ask Noah to tell you about what the real dangers are and what you can do about it. If you want to talk about this, one 855 we'd love to get your... Opinion on the subject, one 855 First of all, nothing has actually changed. The rules that passed in 2016 have not actually yet gone into effect. So effectively, nothing has changed. And we are just going to continue under the same rules that are already in effect. Well, no, you just told me that my privacy is host. You just told me that Trump got rid of my internet privacy. No, I said that there is no longer going to be a federal mandate. Your state and local laws, they can still govern your ISP. And additionally, according to Representative Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee's 7th District, the FCC, in fact, already has the authority to enforce privacy obligations on a case-by-case basis. So if there is, you know, this mass breach of privacy, it can still go to the FCC. Now, if you don't trust uh, your state government and you don't like the fact that the FCC can review these things on a case-by-case basis, if that's not acceptable for you, we still have contract law in this country. So your first step before you become worried about this, before you freak out, before you write angry posts on the internet, is to contact your ISP in writing. If it isn't in writing, it didn't happen. And ask them what their privacy policy is. And then, and this is the important part, pay attention, read it. Now... What can you do if you find out that you're unhappy with what the terms of your ISP are offering after after you've asked them? Well, for starters, you can go to a competitor. Now, some of you, I acknowledge, may live in an area where there isn't another cable provider. So thankfully, we do have mobile service providers who are now offering unlimited Internet connections. That's that's going to be a game changer. The landscape is about to get a lot more competitive. So, you know, we're very, very happy about that. If after doing all of that, you still haven't found a solution that's acceptable to you, don't worry, because we have you covered here on the Ask Noah Show. The answer is something that we call VPNs. Now, Noah, what is a VPN? Well, a VPN is an abbreviation for Virtual Private Network. Basically, it's a way that you can encrypt all of your traffic, and you can even hide where the traffic is going. So in a previous example we were talking about, they would know that you connected to your bank and at what time. At this point, they wouldn't know that. They would simply know when you're on the internet. But no, I'm a tech geek. So I know how to build my own VPN, and I know how to build it on an appliance, and I could just rent a server somewhere. Good for you. I can do the exact same thing. But the data center where your server is hosted, they are going to have an ISP. And in some ways, the ISPs in data centers are almost more tailored toward inspecting traffic and monitoring because it's an attack vector for a lot of misguided youth. They will rent a server for $5 a month, and then they will use it to attack other networks. And so they have a lot of programs in place, and they have a lot of protocols in place, and they have a lot of monitoring infrastructure specifically to look at, you know, inexpensive servers. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to go that route, you better make sure that you understand the technical requirements and most importantly, the legal and policy requirements to make that happen. Now, there are services out there for $40 a month, or I'm sorry, $40 a year, excuse me, $40 a year that will give you everything you need to access a world-class VPN, and it requires almost no 
set up on your side. The service that I have personally used for years, the service that I recommend to everyone that asks is a company called Private Internet Access. And we have a link over at the AskNoahShow.com website, the AskNoahShow dashboard, as we're calling it. Um, and you can get more information of exactly how you can go about signing up with them. But I like them for a couple of reasons. A, they're very simple to use. B, they have setups for Linux, Windows, and Mac. So they are platform independent. Doesn't matter what platform you're using, you can, you're going to be able to use them. And C, and this is the important part, is they don't keep records. Now, why is that important? Why is that last part that they don't keep records? Why is that the most important? Well, in this country, the court system has the ability to issue warrants and obtain records. So in theory, they could obtain a warrant or record to find out who is using private internet access on a given time, on a given date, and what websites were accessed during that time. And again, if you're just joining us, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. We are talking about the privacy laws that have just gone into effect or just changed in this country. If you have a question or comment about it, one 450 noah That's one 450 Now, don't worry. The Ask Noah Show has gone through hours of meticulous research, and we have found the answer for you. Torrentfreak.com, headline, VPN provider no logging claims tested in FBI case. While many VPN providers say they do not log their users' activity in order to protect an, uh, anonymity, anonymity bing bang, it's often that their claims get tested. It's not often that their claims get tested in the wild. However, a criminal complaint filed by the FBI this week notes that a subpoena sent to private internet access resulted in no useful data being revealed about a suspected hoaxer. Let me read that again. Did not result, it resulted in no useful data being revealed about a sus- suspected hoaxer. During the course of the investigation, subpoenas and warrants have been directed to various companies in order to identify the traffic IP address where the email messages were being sent, the complainant reads. All of the responses from One and One, Facebook, Twitter, and TrackPhone have been traced by IP address back to the company named London Trust Media, doing business as private internet access. A subpoena was sent to London Trust Media, and the only information that they could provide was the cluster of IP addresses being used was from the east coast of the United States, the FBI complaint reads. However, London Trust Media did provide the information that they do accept payments for their services through credit cards with a vendor company of Stripe and or Amazon, and they also accept forms of payment through online PayPal, BitPay, Bitcoin, Cash, CashU, Ripple, OKPay, and PayGarden. One eight five five four five zero noah That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The interesting thing about this problem that we are now facing is that it affects Linux. And a lot of times we are able to say these problems don't affect us in the Linux world. They affect the Windows people. They affect the Mac people. They don't affect us in the Linux world. This particular problem affects us in Linux land. Phone lines are open if you want to talk about it. one 450 noah That's one 450 We'll take your questions or comments about internet privacy and what you can do about it. We're going to go to, and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Jail from Portugal. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. How are you and how can we help? Hello, Noah. So my name is João. That's John from Portuguese. Okay. Uh, and I'd like to ask you a question. I'm using Linux for about two years now. Uh, I'm not a really experienced uh, user, mm-hmm. and I'm using Arch and Antergos and other distros, but 
mostly based on Arch. And as you probably know, uh, Samba doesn't uh, doesn't come pre-configured. It doesn't work out of the box. And I always get a little bit uh, worried about my Samba config file. And I'd like to ask you if there are any concerns I should have, because I always look in forums and in guides. And I don't really understand what I'm typing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Security. Mm-hmm. I see the the mask settings. I see the guest only settings. I see the printable, the browsable. Uh, could mm-hmm. you give me a how to or something? Yeah. Uh, so tell me this. Tell me what what exactly are you trying to do with your Samba server? It, like, for example, are is it okay? Is it, let, let me give you an example. Is it like I have it at my house and I want to set up to share a couple files with my friends and family, or is it like I'm setting this up for my no, business no, no, and I need fifty internal. people to be able to no, get to it's it? Just, it's just internal. Just internal. Just internal. But sometimes my, my friends come over, uh-huh. and I don't want them to have access to the to the to the file. Okay. So I, I really like my computer quiet. So I removed all the the mechanical hard drives. I put them on another box in another place in my house, so I don't hear them. Okay. So I always want to have access to private folders, to gotcha. shared folders, public folders. Let's say it, and fo- uh, read only folders because of the movies. And I don't I don't want anyone to to erase uh, accidentally erase the movies. Gotcha. Read only kind of a thing. Three settings: the private one, the 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 um, read only one, and the public setting. That makes yeah, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so I tell you what. Here's the here's the thing that that kind of a question I, I can't really. I obviously I can't read you an entire Samba configuration file, you know, over the air here in a two minute yeah, yeah. phone call. I, I was used to 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 to, to follow the Yantergos, uh guide. Yeah, and they just pick up the the, the default one, and mm-hmm. they just, they just uh, add a bunch of lines. And then I I have to uncomment the the pre, the the presets. Let's say. I let me let me suggest I, I, let me suggest something to you. See if this is acceptable to you. Yeah, let me accept. Let me suggest something to you. See if this is acceptable to you. If you uh, head over to asknoahshow.com, there is an email link. Um, and if you click on that and send me an email with your Samba file, make sure to take out any you know private information, replace it you know with just you know all capital letters. This is where my password is, something like that. If you were to send that to me, I would be more than happy to go through it and and make some suggestions. And if there's something that the Samba configuration file isn't doing, then just put that in a note in the email, and I would be happy to go through and we'd be happy to get that back to you. Is that acceptable to you? That's perfect. Great. Well, thank you very much for calling Ask Noah. We really appreciate having you. Hey, guys, if you want to talk about your business questions or tech questions, give us a call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. And if you have any questions or comments about this Internet privacy thing, we'd love to, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Now, about a year ago, I had this idea. I wanted to make a... I wanted to make a resource that I could use the resource that I wish I had had back when I was getting started with Linux. And I decided the most effective way to do that would be with something that I was calling a video guide, basically a one or two hour long video that showed you how to get started with Linux. I didn't want to spare any expense. I wanted to go to every length necessary to produce content that was fun and engaging, but ultimately educational. Now, why fun and engaging? Why is that a priority? When we were in elementary school, at least when I was in elementary school, I grew up with Bill Nye, the science guy, and I grew up with the magic school bus. And I constantly remember thinking to myself, I 
was so entertained by those shows. I didn't sit down to watch them in first or second grade because they were educational. Frankly, I didn't care about being educated at that point. I cared about being entertained. And because they were entertaining, I paid a lot of attention to them. Now, we watched a number of different films throughout my education experience in elementary school, and I, could, I can't tell you any of them. I can't remember any of them. I don't remember what they were about, and I don't remember anything I learned from them. What I do remember is the magic school bus and Bill Nye the Science Guy. And it's because people don't sit down to watch a movie or a TV show or an online video because they want to learn something. Sometimes you, you don't have a choice, but for the most part, people want to be entertained. And if you can wrap educational environment in, uh, if you can wrap educational material, excuse me, inside of something that is fun and engaging and entertaining, you have a much higher retention rate. And so we put together this series of skits that explain the concepts of open source technology and Linux, and then we walked step by step through installing Linux on an older PC, because those are very popular, a brand new computer that we actually, we took you inside of a Best Buy, we walked you through the process of what it takes to find a computer that you can buy right there in the store, walk out with it what you can expect from a computer of that price range. I think it was like 200 bucks. It wasn't very much. And we installed Linux. And again, this on the newer PCs, they had UEFI. And so we walked you through how to do that. We showed you how to do it on a MacBook, which let me tell you, that's an experience. Um, we showed you how to dual boot various operating systems. So if you wanted to dual boot with a Mac or you wanted to dual boot with Windows, we showed you how to do both of those. And then we showed you how to do it with a Chromebook. And if you're not familiar with what a Chromebook is, it's a very small, inexpensive computer, you know, usually under $200, $300 laptop um, that runs a very specific operating system made by Google. But Google, I, I believe they subsidize the hardware. So you're actually getting – it's a really great buy on the computer and it's, it's painfully easy to run Linux on it. I mean it's just, it's just stupid simple. And so we show you how to get the Chromebook running Linux. Now I've watched my fair share of tutorials in general and – I didn't want to make a tutorial where it's some guy talking in a monotone voice on a chalkboard writing out the Linux file system. Nobody cares about that. Pete, you want to know how to get it up and running on your computer. You want to know how to make videos of your kids and organize your photos and, and browse the internet and, and listen to your music. That, those are the kind of things that you want to do. Um, and so I, I didn't want to make a tutorial like that. And I also didn't want to cut out all of the boring stuff, make it so entertaining that it didn't become useful because we've all watched that tutorial where you have, you're following along, you're following step by step, and then all of a sudden you run into a brick wall and the presenter's like, and uh, now you're just, we're just going to click through some of these screens and then he cuts out the middle part and there's some screen that you don't understand or you didn't know which button to click. So we left every single screen inside of this tutorial on all of the platforms that we installed it on. And yes, it's yes, that made there's a long segment in there to get all of this installed. And we time lapsed maybe a couple of the of the progress bars. But every single screen that you see when you install Linux is in this guide. So it's a very, very complete. And what we found was, you know, if you've ever installed Linux and if you've ever used Linux and, you know, I was showing this to a lot of people that were advocates and experienced Linux users and, and all of them basically said, I gotta be honest with you, man, this video guide is useless. I mean, just totally useless. I mean, anyone that's been around Linux for, you know, 10 minutes has figured a lot of this stuff out on their own, you know, after hours of research, right? Um, 
so this guide is not for the experienced Linux user. This guide is for your spouse. This guide is for your kids. This guide is for your friends that you are trying to get them on Linux. And I have a pretty successful track record at converting people to Linux. Just ask around. I can make a guide. I have made a guide rather that will do this for your spouse, friends and families. But here's the dilemma. The project ended up being like 10 times more work than I had ever anticipated. We had to properly light things so that we didn't get reflection off the screen, but we could still capture the screen with a video camera so that you could see it booting from the BIOS and EFI. We had to do all of the color correction. We captured the audio separately, and that had to get uh, get synced up in post. And all of this stuff came together and, and snowballed into this unmanageable mess. And at this point, all but a few parts of the filming are done. There's, I think there's, we have two skits left to film and one like uh, tutorial thing. Um, but then we have a ton of post-production work and I, I, I just, I really, I reached a point where I just said there are other projects that I want to be working on. And so I just dropped it and that's where it's been for the last year. And, uh, at the start when we announced Ask Noah and as we were ramping up and I was tweeting out and asking people what they wanted to hear about, I heard one thing come through over and over and over and over again. And that is, we don't have any resources it for the for the just starting out we don't have a lot of good resources for the absolute beginner and as i heard that I, you know that struck a chord with me because that is my passion is starting with people at a very at a very simple level and saying this is how you get started and then to watch them grow and they, i have so many people that i have gotten started with linux and they are now way ahead of where I will probably ever be because they're, you know, they're much smarter than me. And I go to them for help now. And, and I love that. I love that community building aspect of it. And it's, it's a true passion of mine. And so I went down, I dug up all of the footage that we had. I loaded it back in the computer. I started looking and I thought, maybe we can do something for this. Maybe this is a project worth doing. And in fact, if you guys want to talk about it, if you have some, if you have input on this, I'd love to get your phone calls. one 855 Noah. That's one 855 If you don't want to call, just tweet me at Ask Noah Show or send a message through the contact page at jupiterbroadcasting.com. That'll work too. But my question to you is this. How many of you would buy a video guide called Getting Started with Linux? And again, I want to emphasize this guide is not going to be for you experienced shell hackers. This is not going to be geared towards, you know, upper end how to's. This is a very, very basic fundamental getting started with Linux for absolute beginners. Maybe you're a person that you use Windows to check your email and browse the internet, and you want to know about how you can do that on a more secure platform that's free and open source. This guide is for you. And if you experience shell hackers have friends and families that you're trying to get on Linux, you're trying to pull them onto the Linux bandwagon, you know, we are working every single day on the Ask Noah show to make that happen. Um, so would you be interested in a product like that? And if you would be interested in a product like that, what do you think is a fair price? What would you be willing to pay for it? That's my question. So give me a call one eight five five four five zero noah That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four, And let me know what you think. Liam is with us from Oregon. Hi, Liam. Welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hello, how's it going? Excellent. How can we help? So I had a question on a certain perspective uh, that I wanted to talk to you about on the Internet uh, Privacy Repeal. Okay. Um, I, I was listening to this podcast, and it's actually a podcast that comprises of an actual attorney. 
Um, I don't want to name drop, but essentially sure. what he was saying was um, the privacy repeal shouldn't be that big of a deal because we shouldn't expect privacy in this day and age anymore. And targeted ads aren't such a bad thing because I want ads to actually be relevant to me. Mm-hmm. And he continued on to say that the mass media reporting was was the worst he's ever seen, blah, blah, blah. So I was just right. kind of curious on your thoughts specifically on the idea that we shouldn't expect privacy anymore. I definitely agree. First of all, I agree wholeheartedly that the mass media reporting has just, it's just, it's beyond ridiculous. On one half, you have, you have mm-hmm. half of the people that are saying, you you don't understand. This is so bad. Basically, the internet, they are selling your, your internet history. They're going to put it as a, on, on a, I, I saw one article that said that they were going to, that you were going to have to worry about them putting your, your browsing history up on a public forum so people could go through and look at it. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That is not, that is, that is not what, that is not the reality that we have lived in for the past couple of years. And in fact, until I started really digging into the, you know, the minutia of this, I wasn't even aware that the, this, these protections had not even gone into place. We have, they have not even gone into place yet. So we are still living in the same world we have and nothing bad has happened. So we need to take that with a grain of salt. As far as not being able to expect privacy, personally, if you're asking me personally, anything that I really care about sits on what I call my cold storage drive. And it is on an air-gapped computer that sits inside of a safe in my house. It has no Bluetooth card. It has no wireless card. It has a encrypted hard drive, and that is stored in a Pelican case. If I want to access the data, the encrypted hard drive comes out of the Pelican case, goes into the computer. I have a separate key that is stored that is required to decrypt that drive, put that key in, decrypt the drive. It's not, not connected to a network at all. That's how I store the stuff that I really want to keep private. Anytime I'm on the internet, yes, I basically assume if it's going over the internet, it's public. And and here's why. Even aside from this private internet, let me let me uh, let me present something to you. See what you think of this. We had Heartbleed, and if you don't, if, for those of you that don't remember Heartbleed, basically <clears throat> it was an error in the SSL, the the implementation of SSL that allowed people <clears throat> in certain circumstances to extract encryption keys off uh, out, out of your system memory. And if the NSA has been, and we know they have, have been collecting years and years and years of every packet that ever transitions through a given data center, a given, you know, internet connection point, and we have all that stored, but they can't actually decrypt it. And now all of a sudden, something like Heartbleed comes along, and they go through and they retrieve some of these encryption keys out of memory. Now they can go back and decrypt a measurable portion of that data. So... if the, the In a post-Norton world, I think you have to expect to a certain degree that that we are on the internet we are things are not private i mean it's kind of like going out to the mall the other side of that though mm-hmm. is that i think we need to keep in mind that i think that we need to keep in mind that we that we should not just become complacent and say well if we can't expect privacy then we just you know we embrace it i think we should always be taking steps mm-hmm. to keep to keep the isps keep corporations keep the government really in this case the fcc at bay and at check and i think overall that's where you're going to find a real balance does that make sense to you Absolutely. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, and if you have another thought, uh, give us a call. one 855 No, that's one 855 But I, I was not uh, I was not I was not an advocate of repealing these privacy laws. I, I fail to see what harm is going to come from putting a federal mandate on ISPs to protect consumer privacy. So they're not saying they can't sell the data. They're just saying that do you have to get consent from the consumer to sell the data? I think that that is perfectly fine. There's an argument there to be made that, you know, we are literally using legislation from, you know, the 1930s 
to get this done. Like if, if it, if it really can be done and this is really what people want either way, privacy, you know, protection for the privacy or not protection for the privacy, keep the federal government involved or uninvolved, you know, run it through Congress, pass it through the house, you know, confirm in the Senate and have the president sign it into law. That's, you know, that's what I would do. Brian is from Michigan and uh, welcome to the Ask Noah show. How can we help? Hey, good evening. Uh, I live in a pretty rural area and I recently set up a, uh point-to-point wireless bridge with some uh, ubiquity equipment. And you okay. mentioned some experience with that. Yes. Uh, this is my first time setting up a long-distance link like this, um, and I just wondered if you had any advice to optimize the throughput I'm going to get. So the first thing to know about ubiquity equipment, I assume it's uh, like the uh, like the nano beams, something like that? Uh, a power beam, but yeah. Power beam, okay. Somewhere. So the, the first thing to note is these are in the, the, the 5 gigahertz range, and so you want to be care- you want to be absolutely sure that you're not within uh, i think it's 10 miles of an airport and not just the airport but the ground station radar because that particular band can interfere with it and if you get caught it's a huge fine so that that's that's caution number 1 past that though as far as optimizing throughput the because it's such a high frequency it is very very directional and so the most important thing is that you have absolute line of sight that, that the that the two endpoints are lined up absolutely perfectly. Do you have any tall trees or buildings in between where these two points are going to go? Just a couple of trees, but uh, I, I've gotten over them, I think. But they, you know, they they may interfere, especially when the leaves start coming back on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We actually we did a um, we did an interview with a wireless ISP, and they said that the tide coming in. Um, because there is on an island, the tide coming in was enough to affect the propagation of these uh, of these two uh, connection wireless connection endpoints. So every little thing, you know, matters a lot. So I guess my my suggestion to you would be to get those really really high, high as you possibly can. Trim the trees off if you need to a little bit, or put a post in the ground or something like that. Um, and you know that's going to be the you know the best guide. We also have. Um, a wireless ISP expert that has been doing it for years, and uh, I'm hoping to have him on the program in the next couple of weeks, and we'll uh, we'll have him on talking about wireless networks. You're not actually the first one to ask about um, you know point to point networks. There's actually a lot of people that have said we're really interested in long range Wi Fi networks. So uh, we're going to make sure to make that a part of the program. You know, without a doubt, this program would not be on the air right now without a couple of people. And I think it's really important that we take a moment to talk about them. And first and foremost is my wife, Sarah. And she has barely seen me the last few weeks. I have been, I mean, it's, it's been, it's, I, I don't remember the last time I've ever worked this hard on a project. I would roll out of bed in the morning and I would walk down to my lab and shut the door. And that would be it for the day. Uh, I'd, I'd come out for lunch um, and then I'd be back in there. And this has been going on for almost two weeks straight. And it's because I needed to learn as fast as possible how to be a talk show radio host. And she's been a major help, not only in just her insight into crafting this program, but for helping me with the production aspects. If you called in today, the call screener is Sarah, my wife. And um, despite taking care of three kids, working two jobs and being a homemaker, she is carving out hours of her day to learn the production aspect. She spent all day in here in the studio yesterday learning how the mixer works, learning how all of the controls work, learning how the remote system that we set up works so that she can be my go-to person anytime 
I'm out of town. So thank you so much, Sarah. I love you. The entire team at Logos Radio who are picking up the show and rebroadcasting it on KEQQ 88.3 LPFM Grand Forks. We appreciate you guys, what you have done for us, um, letting us borrow some studio, studio space from time to time and uh, beg, borrow, and steal some equipment for some of our live broadcasts. There are so many intricate details that really get overlooked uh, making a show like this. Um, you know, like I said, I said earlier in the program, I was getting bombarded um, with people saying, use this link for this thing, and we use this thing to feed that thing, and we download this thing here, and we watch the live thing there, and we're going to pick up this stream over here, and here's where you should put people to give you feedback, and here's the email address you should use. And I, I just – I was looking at this, and I'm like, if I'm a listener – that is sitting down to, to listen to my radio and I'm, I'm listening to all this. I can't remember all that. Not to mention we have a time slot here on, on the radio show. That's the difference between doing a radio show and a podcast podcast. I just, we talk until we're done discussing the radio show. I have exactly, you know, you got, I have three seconds before the silence protection kicks in and they, I lose my spot on the show. Uh, and I have to fill that one hour slot. If I read all of the various resources that we had for the show, that's, I would, That'd that'd be half the show right there. And so I went to my friend, Michael Tonell, and I said, we have a logo for the show, but nothing else. I don't have the graphic arts for, you know, doing the online stream. I don't have, you know, I was, I had this vision of this landing page and I didn't know, I don't know anything about web design, but I kind of drew out, sketched out kind of what I was thinking. And I said, I want a landing page and I want, we want access to all of these things. You know, can we make that happen? And he has bent over backwards working easily as far as hours put into the show i would guess he has the second uh most to me trying to get all of these assets set up properly so if you look on the stream if you're on jblive.tv look on the stream everything you see right now was designed by him with the exception of the logo the the overlay the little video thing the chat it, it, all of that stuff was designed by michael tonell and uh, as well as our dashboard asknoahshow.com and when I asked him, I said, you know, we don't really have a budget for this. And I, I just, I don't know what can I get, you know, for the cheapest possible. And he said, you know what, Noah, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in the Linux ecosystem. And like you, I'm a community member. I'm a person that wants to give back. And so I'm going to donate thousands of dollars worth of graphic arts to you for free. We're just going to give it to the Ask Noah show. So thank you, Michael. I have worked with you for years on a number of different pro- projects, and you are a true testament to your profession. No doubt about it. I would put you against anyone in the country when it comes to graphic design and web design. The actual logo was given to me by Angela Fisher, and she has done a fantastic job in keeping everything uh, together. And thank you very much for all the resources that you have given me. Last, though, and not least, the person who has ultimately made this show possible And it just wouldn't be on the air without this person. And that's my friend and colleague, Mr. Chris Fisher. He hasn't said it, but and he doesn't have to. But I know that I pushed him towards the edge with this program. My launch date was sooner than I think he would have liked. And I am and will continue to be forever grateful for all the support that you've given me. You've literally put a entire network behind me, even though you weren't there. And I I'm very appreciative. Like I said, show just would not be on the air without you. Um, that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. A huge thank you to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll see you next Monday. We're handing you off to Michael Greger, and he's coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3, LPFM, Grand Forks. <laughs>